0: Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Bernie Wagonblast. Today's ETAP Podcast will focus on how state agency partnerships are helping Connecticut both achieve its state climate goals and implement the Transportation and Climate Initiative Program, or TCI, TCI is a historic multi-state effort to cap and reduce greenhouse gas emissions from transportation. Reducing transportation-related emissions is particularly important because the transportation sector is responsible for nearly a third of total greenhouse gases in the United States, more than any industry. As a result, state DOTs have an important role to play in innovative efforts like TCI. State DOTs maintain state roads and manage vehicle fleets, meaning that they'll need to be deeply involved in designing and implementing any initiative that affects fuel prices. More importantly, state DOTs are critical stakeholders in deciding how to reinvest revenue generated from these types of caps on emissions. In Connecticut, for example, TCI is projected to generate roughly a billion dollars over the next decade, much of which will support transportation systems. To learn more about TCI and the ongoing collaboration between state agencies in Connecticut, we're joined by Katie Dykes, the Commissioner of the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, or DEEP, as well as Garrett Eucolito, the Deputy Commissioner of the Department of Transportation. Katie, Garrett, welcome to the podcast.
1: Great to be on. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
0: Why don't we start off? We're obviously going to be talking about a a topic that I think a lot of folks are interested in, but I think one of the good places to start is for each of you to tell us a bit about yourselves and the state agencies that you work for.
1: Well, sure. I'm happy to jump in. So my name is Katie Dykes, and I'm the commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Our agency actually includes both uh, addressing environmental quality and addressing air pollution and climate change as well as our energy part of our agency, where we do a lot of energy policy planning. And so we've been working for for many years now on strategies to help us meet ambitious targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions 45% by 2030, 80% by 2050. And of course, we can't do that without tackling the transportation sector. And so in that regard, we've been collaborating really closely with folks like Garrett at the Department of Transportation here in Connecticut.
2: I'm Gary Uccolito. I'm the Deputy Commissioner at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. We handle most modes of transportation, bus, rail, road, bike, pedestrian. We don't handle aviation. Uh, that's about it. So, um, and we're really focused on working closely with our colleagues at DEEP and Commissioner Dykes to address the environmental impacts and uh, pollutants that are produced from the transportation sector. Prior to the probably the past couple of years, we worked really closely with DEEP because they're our permitting agency in the state, um, and that was probably like where we worked closely together. But now it's a it's a different world in cooperation between our two agencies.
0: Tell us a bit about the way the two agencies are working together to achieve Connecticut's climate goals, if you would, please.
1: Well, one of the um, ways that we collaborate really closely is in leading by example and implementing programs, you know, within our own agencies to make sure that we're doing our part um, within our agencies, within the executive branch here in Connecticut, to reduce emissions from our state facilities and operations. And so that's something that Governor Lamont recommitted our state to, to meet ambitious goals for saving energy and reducing emissions in, um, in our state facilities and operations. So that's something that has brought together our teams, you know, kind of early uh, in, in helping to support um, uh, the Department of Transportation and their efforts to green their fleet of transit vehicles and other types of vehicles.
2: I'll give credit to Commissioner Dykes. When she came in as commissioner in, what, 2019, you restarted the Governor's Council on Climate Change and expanded the mission of that. And uh, I think that included our agency in a much broader conversation than we were previously involved. And so that really began to include us a lot more in those uh, greening initiatives and discussions about resilience and mitigation of climate impact. So it's broadened our agency's involvement. And because of that work with DEEP and Commissioner Dykes and her team, we actually just launched this week our Office of Uh, resilience and sustainability in our department for the first time. So she's pushing us towards where we need to be going.
1: Yeah. And along the way, you know, this partnership is teaching us at Deep about, you know, a lot of new things about the transportation system, just understanding some of the The challenges, some of the funding um, issues, you know, all of the things that the Department of Transportation is addressing in order to maintain our transportation infrastructure in a state of good repair. As we also work towards our shared goal of making sure that we have transportation infrastructure that's going to be reliable and, and affordable for drivers to shift over to cleaner fuel sources like electricity.
0: Going back a few years to 2018, Connecticut set a statutory target to reduce climate pollution to 45% below 2001 levels by 2030. Now, how do you see the collaboration between your two state agencies helping to achieve that target? Obviously, it's, it's not just what you do, but it's a big part of what needs to be done
1: we're really proud of that target it was uh, enacted by the general assembly so it's in law it's a goal that we have to achieve and and by the way for all of those you know kind of carbon accounting wonks out there the 45% 2030 target that we established is just about a notch under the 50% target that the Biden administration has set for 2030 as well cuz we're working from different baselines so you know we're excited you know about the leadership that Connecticut is providing and how everything that we're going to do at the state level to meet that target is going to help support nationwide and, and hopefully global um, progress on addressing climate. Now, when we look across our economy here in Connecticut, there's some things that to celebrate. We have made some significant strides in reducing greenhouse gas emissions from our electric grid you know, through you know, deploying renewables and investing in energy efficiency and um, stepping in to prevent our nuclear facility from shutting down. So we're about 91% uh, emission-free in our electric grid by 2025 as a result of those investments um, when several new offshore wind projects are slated to come online. But that means that while we celebrate that progress and while it underscores you know, the confidence that we can feel that the similar types of reductions are going to be achievable in other sectors, I got to say, Looking at the the pie, and you know all the where the sources of of emissions are coming uh, from that we have to tackle next, transportation really sticks out. It's forty percent of our greenhouse gas emissions in our economy is coming from from transportation, from internal combustion engines, uh, you know, burning fossil fuels uh, to help our vehicles get around. We're also seeing those emissions grow. Even though fuel economy has improved over time, we're driving more. And so we have to implement new programs and solutions as quickly as we possibly can uh, to really bend that curve and uh, get those transportation emissions going in the right direction. Yeah,
2: and I'll say from the DOT's side, we recognize the fact that we are the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in Connecticut. So we have started to make significant steps to try and reduce our carbon footprint, if you will, with our own vehicles, both we own as an agency 700 transit vehicles, so 40 foot and 35 foot buses. That's just our own agency owning those, as well as a few hundred other owned by other transit districts in the state. We've started the process of decarbonizing them and moving them over towards electric. Um, We're having them delivered this year, and we're hoping that this is the last year we've ever purchased a diesel bus in Connecticut. We believe we can achieve full electrification over the next 12 to 15 years. But we also have several hundred light duty and medium and heavy duty vehicles in our agency fleet. And we are going online this year with our first 35 EV charging stations at our facilities for our DOT fleet. So we're moving our entire personal fleet for the agency over as well. And uh, we know we need to do a lot more, but those are just two steps that really we're working closely with deep to try to do a lot of the technical analysis to make sure that we can achieve those targets that we're setting internally.
0: Obviously, pollution doesn't recognize state boundaries. So Connecticut is involved with some regional efforts like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative and the Transportation and Climate Initiative Program. How do those efforts support your work toward achieving state climate goals with what you're doing with neighboring states?
1: Well, we're really excited about the leadership that Connecticut has been providing for many years now in implementing climate solutions on a regional basis. We were proud charter members of the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative Program, which was the first multi-state program here in the Northeast that launched uh, around 2009 and for the first time put a cap or a limit on the amount of emissions that would be allowed from power plants, from fossil uh, fuel powered power plants in the participating states. At the time, it was really very pioneering. We implemented a a kind of market-based approach to implementing that cap by auctioning off allowances to power plant owners where they could purchase those allowances or so-called permission to pollute right to cover all of the emissions from their power plants and the reggie program has been enormously successful we've seen significant reductions in the amount of greenhouse gas emissions from power plants in the now you know well over a, a decade um, nearing two decades that we have been implementing that program and at the same time the success of that program has been borne out in the number of states that are newly signing up to join the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. So I think that's the best vote of confidence in a program is when you see others stepping forward to join, including Pennsylvania, Virginia, and now North Carolina. So as soon as we got started with with the Reggie program, of course, we've been eager to replicate that success in the transportation sector. And so that's the genesis of the Transportation Climate Initiative program which is resulting from a lot of very intensive you know, dialogue and collaboration with uh, more than a dozen states and the, the District of Columbia that have been involved in helping to design the TCI program. It borrows many of those successful components of RGGI, um, implementing a cap on emissions, this time instead of from power plants, The cap will apply to emissions coming from the combustion of gasoline and um, on-road diesel fuel. And the program also leverages regional collaboration by using a multi-state auction platform and and setting this cap on a multi-state basis. Um, That provides a whole lot of benefits both for the companies that would be regulated and that would be complying with the program. um, So they don't have to deal with a different set of rules in every participating state. They get a lot of uniformity and ease of compliance. And it ensures from an economic competitiveness standpoint that all of the states are participating and we uh, can send a strong signal to the marketplace that we're setting this cap on emissions, setting the direction of of where we want to go in terms of shifting to cleaner transportation sources. So we're really excited about... um, what this, how this program has come about and what it will mean both for our state and for other states in the region.
0: Garrett, you talked a bit about how Connecticut is making inroads with, for instance, converting many of its diesel buses to electric buses. Obviously, there are also personal vehicles that people are now increasingly finding that they want to try electric vehicles, whether they be fully electric or hybrid vehicles. One of the challenges with that, of course, is recharging if you're going to be traveling outside of your home area. What's going on in Connecticut as far as EV infrastructure so that that is something that can be addressed?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. So, you know, I think the personal light-duty vehicle market, Connecticut has been a leader in that space. At DEEP, we've run a Commissioner Dykes program called Cheaper, which is providing rebates for purchasing Electric vehicles, right? So it's encouraging adoption of those vehicles by the consumers in our state. However, like you pointed out, you can't encourage adoption if the charging infrastructure is not there. And if you are a homeowner or you you rent your home and you have access to an outlet in your garage or your driveway, you kind of have an opportunity to charge at home. It might be the trickle charging, it might not be the, the level two charger, but you have someplace you can plug in. We have a lot of people who don't have that. You have a lot of people who live uh, who only have on street parking, or they live in apartment buildings or multi unit dwellings where there's no option for off street parking to charge. So, we in Connecticut have been looking at that, trying to map out where the gaps exist because commercial charging is growing in our state. Um, we've seen some of the large charging corporations. Uh, EVGO, Electrify America, ChargePoint begin to install more charging at easily accessible commercial areas, but it's not everywhere. We have large portions of the state in the rural areas that have a dearth of. uh, I know in the Northwest corner, there's not a single DC fast charger for a traveler to use other than a Tesla charger, um, which doesn't serve all vehicles. So we need to make sure that we close those gaps. And that's where opportunity for using some of the proceeds from the Transportation and Climate Initiative to help close those gaps. That's one important part. Two, states all across the country continue to use their VW funding to help encourage installation of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. But I think even more than those funds to help close those gaps is the, for the first time, really putting our multi-state regional cooperation together. Because just like you pointed out that pollution doesn't know boundaries, travelers don't really know boundaries either. We have free travel in this country where people can travel between state boundaries. So we need to make sure that a traveler going on I-95 or on I-91 or I-84 in the northeast part of our country feels comfortable traveling and knowing they're not going to get stuck due to a lack of a place to charge their vehicle. And so while we've always worked closely together at Condot with our Ashto sister DOTs, Now we're being at the table with the energy offices from the other states, with the environmental offices from the other states, along with our DOT colleagues from the other states. So it's great to have that cooperation and that discussion so we can begin to plot out those regional corridors where we can have uh, seamless charging.
0: One of the things we haven't talked too much about during this uh, time together is the funding of TCI. How does it work? Where does the funding come from? And How is the funding going to be used?
1: So this program, essentially, you know, it's important to remember that this is a climate regulation it is an environmental regulation. It's a program that will require polluters to pay for their pollution that they're imposing. And by the way, I should note, that the transportation sector, not only the largest source sector for greenhouse gas emissions, it's also the largest sector for air pollution, other air emissions here, you know, generated here in our state. 67% of our air pollutants like NOx contributing to ozone. These are, you know, significant pollutants that create a lot of respiratory health issues here in our state, and Connecticut has really profound uh, air pollution challenges. So, so that's another major reason why we you know, need to have a program that can help invest in clean transportation. This program, again, requires polluters to pay for their pollution. The polluters that I'm referencing here are um, not you know, individual gas stations or individual drivers, but um, it's really focused on those companies that sell gasoline and diesel for on-road use. At wholesale for resale in the state of Connecticut. So we're really targeting a smaller universe of these companies. And it ensures that they've got some skin in the game and an incentive to compete and to kind of minimize their compliance costs with this program by coming up with cleaner fuel sources, for example. So the program requires those polluters to pay how are they paying? They're paying by purchasing those allowances that cover their emissions. And we auction those allowances off in, in a quarterly auction. So the states don't give the allowances away. We're, we're offering them up for sale in, in these auctions. Uh, and so that lets the markets set the price of, of what compliance really will cost, which is a good thing because it ensures that if we send a signal to the marketplace, to these companies, um, that there's going to be a price for this pollution, they're going to be incented to do things like, oh, for example, uh, someone who's selling diesel at, at wholesale, they could blend biodiesel into their diesel fuel, right, which would reduce the amount, the carbon content of the fuel and lower the number of allowances that they would need to purchase. And so through sending the signals to the marketplace, it ensures that we May be able to get these emissions reductions that we're seeking at a lower cost than we anticipated, which is a good thing for everyone. But in any case, the revenue, when we auction these allowances off in these quarterly auctions, all of the revenue from the sale of these allowances comes back to the participating states. And so, you know, as we divide up our share of the, of the emissions, you know, we expect that Connecticut will net about a billion dollars through participation in this program over the coming decade between 2023, when the program would start, and 2032, while achieving a 26% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions across our economy. So that billion dollars is incredibly important. Those proceeds are what we will use to reinvest in a whole host of clean transportation solutions that will do the work of achieving the emission reductions. Our goal is not to uh, put this regulatory requirement on these wholesalers and hope to you know, make uh, driving more expensive and, and, and achieve emissions reductions by having people drive less. In fact, the goal of the program is um, to put this cap on emissions, incent these wholesalers to take actions that will help reduce emissions, right? Plus, at the same time, generating the revenue that we can invest in those clean transportation solutions that will drive down emissions. And the really exciting part about this program is there's so much variety of solutions available that can achieve those emissions reductions, and at the same time, produce significant co-benefits um, in terms of reducing air pollution, improving safety on our transportation system, improving people's quality of life and giving them better access to services that they need and enhancing our transportation system in all these different ways. And so that's been one of the really exciting parts of this program is kind of engaging with policymakers, legislators, community members about what will be possible and how we should how we could spend this these revenues in a way that will align with the preferences and and the and kind of aspirations of all of the individual communities here in Connecticut
0: as we wrap up our discussion today, I was wondering if either one of you or both of you might have any advice for other state dots who want to work more effectively with their companion agencies in their state, whether it's an environmental protection agency or a Department of Energy, and some of the lessons you've learned that you might want to share with others?
2: You know, I think we at the DOTs um, all across the country, uh, I know we still have that in our agency where we have bureaus and they're modal entities within our own agency, right? We have our rails division, we have our bus division, we have our highway bridge division. So we think in those overused term silos, And while we are struggling internally as DOTs to think about transportation as a mobility mindset rather than a modal mindset, um, we should be thinking about how we can work closer with our sister agencies. So talking to our environmental and energy sister agencies, talking to our public health agencies, talking to our Department of Education, um, which handles uh, primary and elementary education, you know, we've started to include... As part of our uh, strategic highway safety plan, having our Department of Ed, our public health department, our DMV, all at the table for the highway safety plan to ensure that their thoughts are all incorporated in the thinking. And I think it's really important because you have excellent career skilled professionals at our sister agencies that we can be tapping their expertise um, without having to recreate that internally internally. State governments are stretched thin with resources, DOTs are stretched thin, we're seeing a surge of retirements. I know a lot of states are seeing that coming on the horizon. So let's tap the expertise that we have, begin working closely together to uh, share resources.
1: It's really kind of a necessity now as we, you know, tackle the climate crisis and that DOTs and, and environment and energy agencies were kind of lashed together at the mast here. I mean, we really, this revolution is coming, you know, the technology changes are happening. If, if, the, if the transportation sector is going to experience anything like what we've seen in the power grid, I can tell you, <laughs> <laughs> we have seen technology costs drop you know, precipitously. And that creates this tidal wave of adoption and change that you have to be prepared for from an infrastructure standpoint. And it happens, you know, it starts off as like a a white paper, and then a conference topic, and then all of a sudden, everyone's proliferating policies, and then the wave crashes on you, and you're like, not even ready. Uh, And so I think that's where we are with electric vehicles. And folks who are planning the power grid are already, we're already including forecasts for EV adoption in our grid supply plans. For example, we've been preparing for those EVs to arrive in timing, you know, to ensure that we have generation, clean generation ready um, to serve those electric vehicles when they plug in, in a couple of years, battery prices for EVs are coming down much faster than anticipated, and so you know we're going to see that moment where um, we reach price parity between an internal combustion engine and um, and an EV in the next two three years. And so we need to have the chargers ready, and we need to ensure that we have programs available to provide for equitable access to those electric vehicles. That's really, really important. It's been an incredibly important part of our TCI discussions is around equity and environmental justice. By having a program like this in place, a program that is going to create funding dedicated specifically for clean transportation, it ensures that we will be able to provide for additional support for lower income families to be able to afford electric vehicles so that everyone is able to take part in this you know, technology change at the same time. That's one of the benefits of having a program like this is that you can ensure that chargers are going to be available, made available in rural communities or in our urban centers or places where the private market may not build them out right away. At the same time, we have the opportunity to do things like bulk purchasing and bulk procurement. We have 6,000 school buses in the state of Connecticut. And with a program like this in place, it enables us to work directly with manufacturers and, you know, boards of ed school districts to think about how we can use a little bit of this funding, this support to help accelerate that transition over to buses that are going to be generating a whole lot less pollution for our kids and their developing lungs to be exposed to. I'm really excited about the fabulous, you know, kind of relationship and collaboration we have with, with Condot, but also what this funding will mean for enabling Enabling and, and really bringing our agencies together to have, you know, not just like good intentions, but actually substantial resources to put behind good planning, right? And equitable access and all of those things that our agencies, the state government should be doing to help people navigate through this transition. And at the same time, you know, it's not all just EVs. We have age old, like best practices that haven't been funded at scale, like providing for bike paths and transit oriented development and, or even funding broadband. So people can continue to telework, for example, and not have to drive, you know, get in their car. This funding will enable us to invest in those types of proven strategies at a scale we haven't seen before. And that's, that's really, you know, also very, very important so that as we move through this What's going to be a very dynamic couple of years (laughs) for the transportation sector that, you know, we can not just kind of replicate aspects of our of our transportation system that have felt kind of locked in or that may be a little challenging around traffic and access and sprawl and so on, but actually use this as a moment to address some of the shortcomings of our transportation infrastructure, how it's been built out in a way that takes account for, you know, the voices and the, and the concerns of, of, of all of our communities. So it's a really, really exciting time. And, um, I've just loved getting to be learned to be a little bit more of a, a transportation wonk. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not quite ready to, you know, go to a conference about hot, hot mix asphalt or whatever it is that Garrett <laughs> likes to talk about, but, um, but I am a real wannabe, and it's it's been a pleasure to get to work on these issues together.
2: But I, I've got you talking about bike paths and sidewalks and uh See? And transit, so
1: <laughs> we got
2: you halfway there. <laughs>
0: I want to thank both of you for being part of the podcast. We've been chatting on this episode of the Ashto ETAP podcast with Katie Dykes, the Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, and Garrett Uccalito, the Deputy Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Garrett? Katie, thanks so much for being part of the podcast.
1: Bernie, thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.